Well, what a fantastic week it has been. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as me and Leah and my family have. I want to say a few things as we begin uh, this afternoon, since this is the final time uh, that I'll be before you. I just want to say how much of a pleasure it has been to be here. We love you guys. Enjoy the relationship that we have with each of you and with this congregation. Always enjoy our time here. So we want to thank you for making it a fantastic week. Um, Ian, for the singing instruction, the fantastic job that he did. All of the young people putting in the work this week uh, and doing a great job. Uh, for Monty and Darlis keeping us uh, this week, putting up with us, feeding us, we appreciate it. To all of the others who took us out or took, you, took us into your homes and fed us, we thank you. For those of you who held Ivy uh, and helped us there, we appreciate that very much. Um, it's just been fantastic. Wonderful week. I hope that you have enjoyed it as well. Uh, we do want to close this afternoon by talking about the idea of commitment. Now, if you were here all the way back at the beginning of this week, last Sunday, I talked about the pearl of great price and making the kingdom of heaven our pearl of great price, our priority. And I want to leave you uh, this week with some thoughts on how we can accomplish that in practicality, day to day, some things that we can focus on as we seek to be committed godly people, committed to God in our personal life, committed to the church and the work of the church, committed to the mission of evangelism, of trying to shine that light into the world. So tonight I want to define for you what that word commitment means as we think about just in our English language. Webster's defines commitment as an agreement or a pledge to do something in the future, especially an engagement to assume a financial obligation at a future date, something pledged, and the state or an instance of being obligated or emotionally impelled. And I actually want to combine uh, definitions 1A and 1C into one and have you think about commitment this way. That commitment is about saying that you're going to do something and then taking the actions to actually do it. That's what being emotionally impelled or obligated means. It's not just something that you say, words that you say, but you feel the need and the drive and the motivation to carry out that agreement. So essentially commitment is making a pledge and then taking dedicated actions to fulfill it. And so I want to talk about ways that we can do that in our Christian life tonight or this afternoon. Abraham Lincoln said commitment is what transforms a promise into reality. If we don't have commitment, a promise is just a promise left unfulfilled. What actually turns that something into something of substance and reality is the commitment, the drive to actually carry it through. Jesus said in Luke 9 and verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, anytime you run across a passage that says something about not being fit for the kingdom of God or will not inherit the kingdom of heaven or those sorts of phrases, you ought to stop. And back up and read and go, okay, what is he saying here? Because this is important. We certainly don't want to find ourselves in the situation where we're not fit for the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is that that person who puts his hand to the plow and he begins to work, he starts that journey, he starts that work. So you're on your way, you've obeyed Christ, you've committed to living for him and submitting to him and carrying out this mission of evangelism. But then you turn back and you start looking backwards, looking at the old ways, looking at the old sins, looking at the old life. And Jesus says, you can't do that. If you're going to be mine, you've got to be committed. You've got to stay on that course. You've got to continue the work. You can't start looking backwards and going backwards toward those old sinful habits. So as we talk about commitment and understanding what commitment is, I want to tell you some key facts about commitment. One, commitment is not inherently a virtue. You can be committed to the wrong things and have a high level of commitment to something that's not right. 
There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 18, you probably remember. It's a fascinating story of this prophet Elijah. And he feels like he's alone, the only one that's serving God in the land. Uh, Baal worship, false God worship is prevalent throughout the land. And so Elijah actually is gonna come up against 450 prophets of the false God Baal. And he challenges them to a duel of sorts. And he says, look, we'll both build an altar. We'll both sacrifice a bull onto it. We'll cry out to our God and whichever God sends fire down to burn up the sacrifice, we'll know that he's the one true God. So these 450 prophets, remember it's one versus 450. And these 450 prophets, they say, all right, we're gonna do this. So they, they take the bulls, they build the altars, they make the sacrifice. And they, from morning till noon, the scripture says, cry out to Baal and nothing happens. You know why nothing happened? Because Baal's not real. He's a false God. So there's no answer. No fire rains down from heaven. That sacrifice just sits there on the altar. Now, Elijah begins to have a little fun at this point, and he mocks him a little, and he goes, you know, maybe your God's on vacation this week. Maybe he didn't wake up when his alarm clock went off this morning. You know, just, just starts joking with him and mocking him, and then it's his turn, and then he ups the ante. He says, you know what? Build a trench around this altar and cover the whole thing with water, and they poured so much water on top of that altar that it filled the trench that was around it, and then Elijah prayed to God, and you know what happened? God sent fire down from heaven to consume that sacrifice. And it was a great and wondrous victory for God. And the end result was those people, those prophets were killed and slain that day because they were serving the wrong God. But what I wanna focus in on on that story, so I wanna ask you this question, were the prophets of Baal committed? Yeah, they were. It says, and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon saying, O Baal, hear us, but there was no voice nor any that answered. They leaped upon the altar which was made. Verse 28 says, they cried aloud. They cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. You know, they said words and they took dedicated actions to try to fulfill it, didn't they? They were committed to Baal to the point that they were harming themselves and blood was gushing out them trying to show their sincerity. The fact is they were just wrong and committed to the wrong thing. So commitment in and of itself is not inherently a virtue. Commitment must be God-focused and scripturally focused. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 says, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. To follow their means to pursue. It should be a pursuit of our life to follow after those things, to seek after those things and live out those things, to be committed to those things that are spiritual and righteous and holy. These things should be the focus of our commitment. And commitment to God is all or nothing. This is an important part of this discussion of commitment. It's like looking back after you've begun to plow and then you stop and you turn around and you start thinking about everything that was behind. Commitment is all or nothing. You can't be halfway committed. Revelation 3, 15 and 16, Jesus said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God is not accepting of half measures. God is not accepting of us saying that we're committed on Sunday and then on Thursday going all back and doing the physical, temporal, sinful things that we used to do. That's not okay. God wants commitment. He wants us to say the words, and to follow up those words with the actions. Now I wanna talk about godly commitment in our personal life and in our church life for just a few minutes this afternoon. So let's start on the personal side. Philippians chapter one, verse 10 says that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. In everything that we do, we have the opportunity to set a standard for ourselves. And I wanna ask you this afternoon, what standard you are setting? 
in your own personal individual life, in your relationship with God and with Christ? Are you setting the bar down here so that you can reach it every time? Or are you willing to set a standard of excellence, which is what the scripture is talking about here, approving things that are excellent, being sincere and without offense towards Christ. We're looking for those things that are excellent, that top-notch standard is what we should set in our life when it comes to our families and raising children, our relationship with our spouse. What is the standard for those relationships? Where are we setting it? Are we setting it at excellence or are we setting the bar down here? I wanna encourage you in every part of your individual life and your relationships and your personal life that you set a standard for yourself that is the godly standard of righteousness and essentially of perfection. Now we recognize we're not gonna be perfect. Christ was the only one that was. But if we set the standard at perfection, we'll be much closer to reaching it than we will if we set it way down here and say, this is all I have to do. This is all, I'm just gonna check it off because this is all that I'm required to do and then I'm gonna go live my life and do what I wanna do the rest of the time. Standard of excellence. Committing to that means that we're willing to control the things that we do day in and day out, controlling our actions. All of us struggle and face temptations. But you know something about temptations that's interesting? You can control in large degree, or at least to some degree, how tempted you are and how likely you are to fall to those temptations by controlling the environment that you put yourself in, by paying attention to who you're around, where you are, where you are when you are around certain people. Thinking through the situations that you're in and saying, I'm not gonna put myself in a place where I know I'm gonna be tempted to sin or I'm gonna be tempted to fall. I'm gonna take pre-planned, premeditated action to say, I want to make sure I'm controlling the things that I do and keeping that standard of excellence in my life. So that means I'm gonna avoid certain places. I'm not gonna go hang out with certain people that try to push me to do things that I shouldn't do. I'm gonna get up every morning and I'm gonna read the scriptures. I'm gonna put God's word into my mind. And for the young people here this afternoon, I especially wanna encourage you to start that habit. Even if it's a verse or a couple of verses, but every day, open up your Bible or your Bible app, it's fine too, and read something out of God's word. Make that a part of your daily routine. And then increase that as you go. Increase the amount that you read and you study. And then in com combination with that, I wanna encourage you to pray every day, to communicate with God. And when you're communicating with God and you're reading from his word and you're avoiding certain places and avoiding certain people and focusing on doing and good and righteous things, you're gonna be a lot closer to that standard of excellence that God wants you to keep. We think about our thoughts as well. It's not just actions that God wants us to control, it's our thoughts. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that we should take every thought captive and bring it under obedience. Jesus set a high standard in Matthew chapter seven when he talked about it. he said, you know, it's been said of old time, you should not commit adultery. What did Jesus say? I say unto you, not to look at a woman to lust after her in your heart. Because if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And he set a higher standard. He said, not only do I not want you to do the action, I don't want you to think about it. I want you to control your thoughts. There's a gentleman at home that I remember from the time that I was a kid, he had a phrase that he would say. He would say, thoughts are like birds. You can't keep a bird from flying over your head. But you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. If you let a bird build a nest in your hair, that's on you. And thoughts are gonna pop into our brain. We're gonna have thoughts, we're gonna have emotions, we're gonna have things that aren't right, that aren't good, thoughts that come into our brain that aren't good. What happens after that is what's important and what's on us. We can't control a thought from popping into our brain, but we can take it and put it into captivity, put it under the obedience of Christ and say, is this helping me fulfill the excellence of Christ and be more like him? If so, great. If not, I'm throwing it out. I'm not continuing to think about it. I'm not gonna dwell on it. I'm not gonna go down that path. 
I'm gonna control my thoughts. That's what that means. So I wanna encourage you to set that standard of excellence for your thought life. Also for your attitudes. You guys remember the Old Testament story of Moses as he's leading the people and they're wandering around and they're hungry and they're thirsty and the people are coming and complaining. We need something to drink. Well, God tells Moses, look, here's what you do. Go speak to this rock. I'll provide water. You can give it to the people, be great. Well, Moses is frustrated with the people because the people are whining and complaining. And you really do kind of feel bad for Moses here because the Israelites were a rather whiny bunch as human beings can be. And so Moses gets a little frustrated and he looks out at him and he says, here now you rebels, must we provide water? And then he smacks that rock twice. And I can just see that frustration just coming out in him. Well, he did multiple things wrong. He lost control but he smacked the rock instead of speaking to it like God told him. He also took credit for it. Must we provide water for you? Instead of saying, God is providing this water. And he called them rebels. So that kind of shows you he was frustrated at him. He lost control, didn't have the right type of attitude. You know what that cost him? It cost him ever being able to go into the promised land. Moses wasn't able to make it there. God said, you can't because you took credit for something that I did and you didn't obey me. Our attitude matters. Controlling our attitude and our emotions and approaching life with positivity is so important. And I wanna encourage you to do that. I've already mentioned some things this week about when I was a kid and being told to do certain things, but doing it with a bad attitude. And you do that, you're really hurting yourself. You're putting yourself in a negative place and that stuff ends up piling on and getting worse for you if you do that. So a couple of examples too that I think about is as husbands and wives and as parents. Husbands and wives controlling their attitudes and controlling their thoughts and actions means we're not having screaming matches between husband and wife. Controlling our attitudes, our thoughts, and our actions means we're not beating our kids out of frustration or beating our kids at all. If we're disciplining our kids and using the rod, we're doing it for a specific purpose and a reason to show them the consequences of their action, not to carry out our own anger and frustration. Don't allow an attitude problem to cause you to do things that you know you shouldn't do. Those things ought to be controlled. And that's that standard of excellence. It means in all of these areas of application, we're saying, I'm gonna try to be like Christ would be in this situation. And certainly Christ wouldn't do those things. Commitment to excellence means being spiritually focused. And we've already mentioned some things related to this, but reading your scriptures every day, praying to God each and every day, as we talked about this morning, seeking to make spiritually based decisions, not physical ones. I'm gonna encourage you to commit to that. A commitment to excellence means living with love and compassion towards other people. Making sure that you're treating everybody with the same love and compassion that Christ would. Now that means the people who are your best friends in here, and that means the people that you don't get along with in here, that means the people that it's easy to respect, and that means the people that it's harder to respect, the people that are easier to love, and the people that are harder to love, the people whose personalities we jive with, and the people whose personalities we don't, all of the above, are worthy of our love and our compassion in the church. And so I wanna encourage you to set a standard of excellence for your life in your families, in your personal life, with the congregation, and with strangers and coworkers and friends and everyone else that you're around, that you show them love and you show them compassion. When you do that, Jesus said, this is how men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. I wanna encourage you to set that standard of excellence and commit to that by always doing what is right, even if it means sacrificing something. Normally that is what it means. Making a choice to do what's right means maybe you don't get to participate in something. Making a choice to do something right means maybe sacrificing a relationship or a friendship. And I talked this week about people that literally have the question between God and family. 
and family will disown them if they come to Christ. That is a hard situation to make, but it's the right decision. And whether it's something big like that or it's something small, like not being able to go somewhere, not being able to participate in something because you know it's probably not good, be willing to make the sacrifice to do what's right. If you're willing to do that, you're setting a standard of excellence in your life. So as you think about these six things in your personal life, it kind of gives us an idea of the things I think that we need to be focused on in this idea of being committed to God in our life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Now, this is a fun scripture to me because he's talking about masteries or a race, a competition. And he says, if you want to be in a competition and you want to win that competition, guess what? You can't cheat. You have to follow the rules. There are rules to competition and they must be followed. And if you cheat, you will not win. And the same thing is true in our walk with God and our commitment to God. We can't cheat our way through this life. We can't pretend to be spiritual and hope that it works out in eternity. We can't pretend and fake it. Hypocrites aren't making it to heaven. Now, saved hypocrites that are trying their best, obviously all of us at times can, can be that way. But if you're purposefully trying to be a hypocrite and put on a show here and then go to live some other life, you're not gonna be right with God. Jesus said, you can't put your hand to the plow and look backwards. You can't do it. We've gotta be committed. We've gotta follow the rules. There's a, a story of a man named Fred Lors. Uh, now in 1904, in August in the city of St. Louis, uh, the first Olympic Games on American soil were held. And so this is over 100 years ago. And in those Olympic Games, a man named Fred Lors signed up to compete in what was then the 24.8-mile marathon. Now, this course consisted of dirt roads and rocky roads uh, with seven hills that were each 100 to 300 feet high. So much different than the marathon races that are done today. Uh, and as these athletes were running on these 24.8-mile marathons, the athletic coaches and trainers would actually ride in automobiles in cars kind of along the track and keeping up with their athlete, athletes. Well, at first, this man, Fred Lors, he jumps out in front. And for the first nine miles of the race, he's winning. But at mile nine, his legs begin to cramp. And so he begins to be passed. And other people are getting ahead of him, and he's struggling. And so he gets an idea. He hops in one of the coach's cars, automobiles, and for the next 11 miles, he rides in a car until mile 20. Now at mile 20, he jumped out of the car and he finished the next 4.8 miles as the assumed winner. So he's the first one that runs through the finish line. The crowds cheered. Alice Roosevelt, who was the 20-year-old daughter of then-president Theodore Roosevelt, placed the winner's wreath on Lore's shoulders and was about to adorn him with the gold medal for winning this race, when those who had witnessed the fact that he rode 11 miles in a car exposed his cheating and the crowd began to boo and the wreath was taken back off of him and the real winner was then crowned. What I think we can get from this is what 2 Timothy 2 verse 5 is talking about. You want to cheat your way through, you're not going to win. He got there first. He tried to cheat his way there. He didn't follow the rules. And so he didn't win. He didn't get the gold medal. He didn't get the winner's wreath. Somebody else that actually followed the rules did. I'm gonna ask you, are you that committed to God's standard? As you think about your relationship with God, are you committed? Or are you trying to cheat your way through life? Don't do that. Be willing to put in the hard work. What we're going to win one day is the crown of life, the crown of heaven, the greatest blessing that has ever been given, and that's eternal life. You can't cheat your way there. You have to be willing 
to do the things that God has asked you to do. Now let's think about godly commitment in our church life for just a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Commitment to the church means being present first and foremost. Now I'm talking to the crowd that's here on the Sunday afternoon service. I appreciate the fact that y'all are here. But you and I both know that there are some folks that don't show up on Sunday afternoon. There are some folks that aren't here for the gospel meeting. Some folks that could be here that aren't there for the singing instruction. And that's sad. It's sad to me. Because I believe one of the most valuable things that we have in life is time together, praising and worshiping God, fellowshipping with one another, as we've done lots this week. and It's been fantastic. So I want to encourage you, be present. Be here. When the church doors are open, when something's going on, make it a standard of excellence in your personal life and your church life to say, me and my family, if we can, we're going to be here. We're going to make this a priority in our life. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, VCP, visibility, credibility, profitability kind of uh, thought process, but the thought process even in business or in organizations is this. In order to get to profitability where we all want to be, we've got to have credibility. People have to trust us. In order to have credibility and for people to trust us, we have to have visibility. That visibility is not meant to be a prideful thing or a showy thing, but we have to be here. In order to have credibility and trust, we have to be involved and be here. And so ultimately what we want as a church is for souls to be saved. That's the profitability. We want souls added to the kingdom. In order to do that, our community, our friends, the people that we're around all day long have to see us as credible. And in order for us to be credible, We've got to be doing the things that God has called us to do and be visible, be here, be present. And while you're present, be involved. Kind of goes hand in hand. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, in congregations, you have 80% of the work being done by 20% of the people. And that really shouldn't be that way. Guys, we should have 100% participation from our congregation. 100% of the people doing 100% of the work. But unfortunately, most of the time, that's not how it shakes out. You've got the very small minority, 10 or 20%, that are doing all of the heavy lifting and most of the work in a congregation. And that shouldn't be commonplace. Everyone here, everyone in this congregation has a talent, has an ability, has a way that they can serve this congregation and serve the church at large. And I wanna encourage every person in here to think about in your own mind, what is it that I can do that I've not been doing yet, that I've not been doing so far? What can I commit to to say, I wanna be involved? And I wanna encourage you also to go speak to Monty and Nathan. Go speak to your elders and say, what is it that this congregation needs? What can I help with? And you know what? You will make them the happiest elders on the planet if you go to them and say, we just want to help. We want to serve. What can we do? We need every single person in our congregations working towards the mission. And that mission of saving souls, bringing people to Christ, it includes a whole lot of things. So maybe you're in the crowd going, well, I don't know how to do a Bible study. Well, one, Maybe go talk to Ian and say, can you help me learn how to do Bible study? But even if you're uncomfortable with that, there's other things. Everything that we do from lunches to serving and ministering to people who are in need to taking care of the building, all of the things that go into what we're trying to accomplish as a congregation gets us to that end goal of profitability of souls saved. So don't think of it as big jobs or small jobs or important jobs or not important jobs. Every single job in a congregation is important. And we need everybody seeking to do that and using the talents that they have. And then be consistent with it. It's real easy too with a gospel meeting. And I've seen this over and over again. People are fired up and motivated during a gospel meeting. 
Because you're here every day with each other. It's the Acts 2 kind of deal. You're eating together. You're studying together. You're doing all that together. It feels great. You're fired up. And then by next Thursday, you're back to what it was the week before. You're back to what it was before the meeting. And I want to ask you not to do that. Whatever fire and motivation that you may have coming off of this week, be consistent with it. Keep it going. If you make a commitment to say, I'm going to be present more, I'm going to be involved more, then don't do that for a week or two and then fall into your old habits. Be consistent. We need 100% participation 100% of the time. Commitment to the church means not only being present, involved, and consistent, but it means intentionally seeking to encourage other people. Hebrews chapter 25 talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about there? The day of Christ, the day of Christ's return. As we look forward to that day when Jesus returns and all of us get to go to heaven with him, sometimes there's gonna be days where I need encouragement. And if you're not here, you can't encourage me. There's gonna be days where you need encouragement and you need help. If I'm not here, I can't encourage you and I can't help you. But if we have a congregation full of people, 100% of the people that are on purpose saying, who can I encourage today? Who can I talk to today? Who can I take out to lunch today? Who can I give a hug today that may need it? What a wonderful congregation, a wonderful place that would be if every single person is focused on everybody else and being encouraged. And all of us end up being encouraged that way. All of us end up being lifted up not only encouraging others, but serving others. What specific actions can you do? And I'm gonna tell you in church work, there are projects. There are people that need a lot of help and need a lot of work, and that's okay. That's what the church is for. That's what we're trying to do is to impact people's lives, help them to change, to be saved and be conformed to the image of Christ. That's our job as Christians is to help people do that. So that means you might have to get your hands dirty. That means when you volunteer to help and to do something and say, I wanna be involved, that might mean going and mowing somebody's lawn. That might mean making them dinner and bringing it over to them when they're sick. It may mean visiting them in the hospital. It could mean a myriad of different service-related things, but we need to be willing to do whatever those things are to serve each other because you know what you're not doing when you're thinking about how you can serve everybody else? You're not thinking about how you can serve yourself. And that's where we get in trouble. So if you take on this standard of excellence, of committing yourself to the church and of encouraging others and serving others, it's gonna be a lot harder for you to wallow in your own selfishness and sin. It's, it's impossible to have both of those things. You're either focused on self or you're focused on others. And as long as you're focused on others, it keeps you from the dangers of self-focus. And then finally, the commitment to the church means being willing not only to encourage and serve others, but evangelize. Each of us individually, and once again, I'm using the 100% thing, but we need 100% of people in a congregation saying, I want to be a part of the mission to evangelize my community. If salvation is really the most important thing to you, if it is really the best thing that has ever happened in your life, wouldn't you want to share that with people? You know, we come back from great vacations and activities that we do, and we're excited to tell people about the new experience, the new thing that we did, the thing that was awesome. We had so much fun. Oh, this, great, this place was so great to go to. It's so beautiful. It's so awesome. And we're fast to tell people about all the amazing experiences that we have here. If our salvation through Jesus Christ is really the most important thing to us, shouldn't we be courageous enough to say, I want to tell you about that. I want to tell you about what Jesus has done for me. And that's going to come in a lot of different forms. But what we need is the commitment, the learning how the training, the, all of that stuff can come. What we need first is the commitment from every single person to say, I'm willing to be a part of the mission. And as we think about these six things as being 
commitment to the church, I think it just gives us an idea. Obviously, there's more we could talk about. There's different ways we could break it down, but it gives you an idea of what that means. If you're gonna choose today to be committed to the church in your church life, to say, if I can, I'm gonna be here. And if I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna be involved. I'm gonna ask my elders what they need, what can I do? I'm gonna look to be involved and I'm gonna be consistent with that. I'm not gonna give up after a week. I'm gonna encourage others. I'm gonna be intentional about thinking about what I can do for people, what I can serve them with, even if that means sacrifice, even if it means getting my hands dirty, I'm gonna do that. And when I'm out and about in my personal life, daily life, not around Christian people, I'm gonna think about how I can evangelize, how I can share the message of Christ, how I can make an impact on my neighbor so that hopefully one day I have the opportunity to sit down with them and tell them about Jesus. And if we'll do that and we'll be committed to that, we're setting that standard of excellence for ourselves when it comes to our church life. In Ephesians chapter six and verse 13, the Bible says, wherefore take into you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You know, as you read Ephesians six and you think about the armor of God concept, he talks about the devil shooting those fiery darts, right? We are in a spiritual battle. You and I are fighting in a battle today, whether you realize it or not. We are fighting against Satan and the influences of Satan. And we are fighting for God and righteousness and those things. But as we consider that, I want you to think about the type of commitment that it takes to be willing to run into the battle to save those that may be in danger. And to do that, I wanna tell you about a man named Desmond Doss. Now in April of 1942, a young Virginian named Desmond Doss joined the United States Army. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, Doss wanted to do what he could to serve his country. But because of his faith and his personal convictions, he signed up as a conscientious objector. He refused to carry a weapon and wanted to be an army medic. And though he was ridiculed by his fellow officers and his superiors for his choice not to carry a gun, Doss proved himself over and over by fearlessly running into harm's way in order to provide medical care to wounded men on the battlefield. Now, in 1945, Doss's company were among those trying to overtake Japan's last defense outside of the homeland, Okinawa Island. After multiple attempts, they finally secured the top of a cliff, only to be met by a vicious counterattack. The retreat order was given and the soldiers began climbing back down the ridge, but only about a third of those soldiers made it back down. The rest were wounded or dead. Now, Corporal Doss ignored the retreat order and he marched over and over again back into the fight, pulling wounded soldier after wounded soldier to safety. And that day he saved 75 lives, refusing to quit, refusing to stop no matter what. Now, eventually the Americans took Hacksaw Ridge and forced Japan eventually to surrender. A few months later, President Harry Truman awarded Corporal Doss the Medal of Honor, which was the nation's highest award. And he is the only conscientious objector in history to be awarded that honor. Now, I wanna use this story to ask this question. Are we as committed to our mission? Think about the fear that would have been in anyone's mind, running into those spraying bullets all around you, with the death and destruction that is all around you, but being willing to run into the fray to save those men that needed help. You and I are in a spiritual battle today. And in many ways, we look around and we see Satan's influence. And it's easy to believe that Satan is winning. But you know what can stop that? You know what can turn the tide in that battle? Is good, godly men and women who are willing to jump into the battle and say, I want to be a part of saving these people who need saving. Not that it's us doing the saving. It's Jesus, of course but to be willing to run into the fray. Now, what does run into the fray mean in our context? It means being willing to have the hard conversation. You know, it takes courage sometimes to talk to people about Jesus. It's easier to just go, ah, next time, and not say anything. And I wanna ask you, 
to at least, at the very least, watch for the open opportunity and pay attention. Now we can go like a hunter and we can go out and we can try to hunt people uh, to, to spread the gospel to. And we can go door knock and we can do all those things. And that's great. Nothing wrong with that. But what I think is more effective and more important is building the credibility and then looking for those opportunities where there's a crisis in somebody's life, where you've built enough trust with them that they ask you a question that's spiritually based, where maybe they ask you about the church that you attend. Don't give them a short answer and change the subject. Take those opportunities to start talking to them about the most important subject that they need to hear. How committed are we to the mission of evangelism that God has given us? As we close this afternoon, I wanna leave you with these thoughts. Godly commitment means choosing to strive after excellence. Stop setting the bar low. I wanna ask every single one of you to make a commitment to set the bar high, to seek excellence in your life, in your personal life and in your church life. Godly commitment means choosing to serve God and others, not self. Making those intentional, planned actions of service and of encouragement and of help towards other people. Givers are far and away more content, more satisfied and happier in life than takers. So I wanna encourage you to be a giver. Godly commitment means choosing to share the gospel with the lost, being committed to that mission and willing to run into the fray to save those who need saving. Godly commitment means choosing to keep going even when life gets tough, and we talked about that this morning. And godly commitment means choosing to stay faithful to God until death. Remember that we cannot cheat our way into heaven. We have to follow the rule. We have to be committed in both word and in action. We have to be committed on both Sundays and on Thursdays and every other day. Commitment is all or nothing. So where is your commitment level tonight? One day, those who are committed to God and are seeking to follow him through all the days of their life will be awarded a crown of righteousness and allowed to dwell in heaven with God and Christ forever. I want that to be me. I want that to be you. I want every single person in here to experience that. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And I hope that this is the goal that all of us set for ourselves, that at the end of our lives, whenever that may be, whether we are old or young, that we can honestly say these words, I have fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Now, Paul didn't keep it perfectly and neither will we, but the heart and the commitment behind that to say, with everything that I have, I'm gonna do my best to serve him. Verse eight, he says, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. This week, I hope that you have been encouraged. I hope that you have been uplifted. And I hope that as we leave this afternoon with this idea of commitment in mind, that you will make a decision, whatever that means for you personally. And I don't know all the situations in here, but whatever that means for you personally, be committed to God, be committed to Christ be committed to this congregation. And if you'll do that, great and wonderful blessings will come down not only in your life, but in this congregation here and in the church worldwide. And if all of us will do what, what we can and everything that we can, I believe that's pleasing before God and we can look forward to that home in heaven with each other one day. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a member of Christ's body, we offer you another invitation this week. This is a chance, a decision that you can make right now to bring yourself into a good relationship with God through the blood of Jesus. If you're here and you're struggling with something and we can help you by praying for you, praying with you, we would also ask that you come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.